All right, it's um, Christy and Peter, and we're back. And this is Zero G, a history of forgotten phones. Yes, thanks for joining us. Um, my name is Peter Rojas. I'm a partner at Betaworks Ventures. And, and I'm Christy. Uh, and I'm, it's, I'm interrupting yeah. Peter Rojas today. <laughs> Go right ahead. <laughs> I'm a partner at Backstage Capital. And we've been doing this pop-up podcast where we take a look back at some of the smartphones that time has forgotten or overlooked. And um, we thought we'd talk about 2007. We were finally up to 2007. We started in 2002 and we worked our way up to 2007, which kind of a weird year for phones. It was a very weird year for phones. That's There's no doubt about that. Phones were, this is kind of like um, almost like an awkward pre-pub pubescent year for phones <laughs> like, like the feature phones had kind of reached their max potential but the iphone hadn't debuted yet it debuted in 2007 right? yeah it was announced in yeah. january 2007 and uh it was launched in june of 2007 but the rest of the industry i would say it was a year where it felt a little bit like everybody else ran out of steam where if you look at palm and nokia and some of the other players that had been uh, a, a little more um, uh, kind of riding high a few years earlier. Now you start to see them at a time when they should have been blowing up. It seems like they start to you know lose the plot a little bit just at the moment when the sort of new challenger in the form of the iPhone comes on the stage. A lot of people dismiss it. I have, I have a kind of funny quote, I think, uh, funny quotes there are tons of funny quotes about the iPhone, uh, but also I found a really funny one about uh, something else that was announced in 2007, which was Android, uh, Google announcing that it was going to offer Android. So we have a lot to talk about, but when we think about, look back at the phones from this year, a lot of them were these sort of weird one-offs or things that went nowhere, or uh, in the case of BlackBerry, I think we may be talking about BlackBerry's kind of high watermark. So where do you want to start, Christy? I think we should start with the with the weird one offs. Those are always my favorite. Yeah. So you want to do? Let's you know. Let's talk about the LG Prada because this okay. was. I, I don't know how well you remember this phone. I don't think it ever actually got an official release in the U.S. But uh, shortly before the iPhone was actually announced, LG started showing off its own touchscreen, capacitive touchscreen, full screen kind of rectangular slab phone with a Prada logo on it, mm-hmm. and um, it obviously was immediately overshadowed uh, by the iPhone, but um, it was announced around the same, it was, I think it was announced uh, right around the same time. I think it was announced uh, maybe about a month before the iPhone and actually late 2006 and went on sale in, 2000, in May, 2007. But um, there were a lot of people that said, Apple ripped this off. Rip, Apple stole- yeah, there was a big controversy around it. Big controversy. I will say in Apple's defense, uh, they had the iPhone in the works for many years. I mean, it takes a few years to make a phone. Right. So it's the idea that... Like, like yeah. you don't just look it up and ship it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the idea that Steve Jobs, you know, saw the uh, the Prada, the LG Prada phone announced in 2006, and then one month later announced uh, the iPhone, showing, showing off a demo of the iPhone on stage, that's not how it works. Uh, I think there was a little bit of convergence here, but it was a phone that did have uh, some similar... I mean, it definitely, at least superficially, seemed very similar, right? It had, had the, the, like I said, touchscreen. It had a capa- is a first, I think, smartphone with a capacitive screen. And so for people that aren't aware of the difference, 
I think we've talked touched on this in an earlier episode, a capacitive screen, basically everything's capacitive now, but you can use it with your fingers. Uh, and with resistive touchscreens, which were predominated before uh, the iPhone, certainly before the iPhone, you mainly had to use a stylus and it was, uh, you had to apply just enough pressure or force to get the mm-hmm. screen to, you know, to activate the screen. And so uh, capacitive touchscreens are much, well, they're much friendlier and they're much easier to use. They're more uh, intuitive. More intuitive, but also were harder to build uh, at the time. And so uh, we're much rarer. But the, uh, um, you know, to me, the, the the thing that's kind of most, not most hilarious about this, but but is interesting is that it's Prada. Prada used to be a really big luxury brand. I don't know if it's still people care about it as much now, but I remember 20 years ago it was kind of the pinnacle of of luxury kind of fashion. Well, I think this speaks to the fact that um, there was really um, a push for differentiation and a feeling like each market niche had to have its own specific handset. Because this, um, the LG Prada wasn't the only luxury device. There is another brand, which I've been trying to remember since we started recording. It started with a T. Do you remember what I'm talking about? It was like um, similar, not as technological as the LG Prada, but it was like the casing was made out of 18 karat gold. It was sold in Italy. I'm going to have to look it up. No, no, but there was, um, I mean, but Nokia did have that um, that luxury phone brand, which was, um, uh, what was that luxury phone brand called? I can't believe it. I'm, I can't remember either. Oh, but v- there was Vertu, the- Vertu. That's the one. Yes. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking okay. about. And didn't they have like Lamborghini leather or something like that? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, they just used really, really high-end materials yeah, it was, to help it was create ridiculous. this luxury feel. Um, I think they did a phone um, with Ferrari in 2007. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we could have talked about that one as well. <laughs> uh, it, it's, uh, but the, the funny thing about the Vertu phones is, is they were actually pretty crappy phones like you paid a lot more yes. for a phone that was performed worse and i think that was one of the challenges of this transition moment right where uh you probably saw this on the retail side where uh it, it the software became, started to become so much more important than the hardware not that the hardware isn't important and the hardware obviously enables the software but the fact is you could have the most luxury materials you could have you know, 24 karat or, you know, 24 karat gold and, and diamonds and titanium and all these luxury materials on the outside. But if the software on the inside was terrible or you didn't have very much RAM, you just had a paying a lot of money for a crappy phone. Exactly. And so that was a, that was a thing is that at this point in time, I think there was a big piece around recognition that different people wanted different experiences from their phones. And so we had all these weird anomaly devices trying to target these different markets. But in reality, there was this underlying issue, which was the software user experience. And, um, you know, there were some applications at the time, there weren't a ton of mobile apps, there was some like web browser interfaces, but they weren't great, the speeds were still pretty slow. And so there was this huge gaping hole in the market, it was a clear that business people could use BlackBerry or Windows or Palm. And then consumers had a smorgasbord of choices. It was like going to a Las Vegas buffet. <laughs> you could eat anything your heart desired, but none of it was very good. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, so the LG ended up being sort of a weird footnote in history, sort of a, a, um, I mean, LG certainly, 
I believe they launched a couple more Prada phones. Maybe they're still launching them in, in Korea or some other market, um, you know, not here in the U.S. But uh, it was a path that that really wasn't taken, and certainly uh, the OS, the software side was. Um, I mean, I don't even remember what operating system it ran. It, it didn't really run a smartphone OS. I don't recall you being able to actually install apps and and, and or anything like that. It wasn't Symbian or anything. Um, anything that anybody else was using, it was probably some, some weird, um, proprietary, proprietary thing. Maybe LG. it had supported brew or something like that, but, uh, uh, you know, LG, just like everybody else ended up going down the Android path, uh, within a few years and, uh, and standardizing around that. There is one, um, one, f- maybe the Prada is like the grandfather of this phone, but I think we're going to talk about a phone called the Voyager, yes. in a minute. but there was another phone a couple of years after the Voyager called the LG Dare. The Dare, I don't remember the Dare uh, at all. Which was super popular on Verizon. Uh, it was released in 2008, but I don't think it really became, I think it was like the holiday season and end of 2008. Looks very, very similar to the Prada. And it was um, it was basically a feature phone that could use, they're very similar yeah. to the Prada, like feature phone, 3G. Yeah. Uh, you could use Verizon apps and so forth, but that one definitely did well. Oh yeah, I'm looking it up right now. Huh? So maybe some of it did survive for at least there was it was a a a, a dead branch of the evolutionary tree, but it did go on for at least a a, a few years. Um, which one do you want to talk about about next? Do you want to talk about the um? Do you want to talk about the Voyager right now? Yeah, let's talk about it. Okay. Uh, the Voyager was uh, Verizon's response to the iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> Their first response. I can't even say that without laughing. And we had this whole internal thing about how, uh, because the iPhone was, had a capacitive touchscreen. It did not have a physical keyboard. Yeah. And so we maximized the lack of physical keyboard. And the Voyager was to kind of uh, the next evolution of the LG V, the VX9800, mm-hmm. which we discussed yep. on a previous episode. Uh, it had a touchscreen on the top, and then it was hinged. You could open it up, and it had a QWERTY keyboard if you opened it up. Um, and so this and one only had one on keypad, right? <laughs> right. Just one keypad and Just a screen one. on the front. But, yeah. multi- but lots of screens. Yes. Lots of screens, lots of speakers. And, and, it, and it supported Vcast, which we yes. talked about before, which um, was kind of exciting. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the things I remember about Verizon, especially at this time, is that there was an emphasis on the device isn't really so important. It's really about the network and the services and, right. and the fact that you can get Vcast and, and you know, you can access some of the Verizon apps and, and things like that, but you're really getting this amazing network. And so w- devices like this sort of kind of re- came out of that mentality. Am I right? Uh, yeah, I think so. And I think the other thing is that this device was super functional if you were a consumer because uh, the Vcast pricing, if I remember correctly, it was $15 a month and that was unlimited yeah. for web and email and so forth. And the email interface was actually pretty good. Uh, if, if I remember correctly, this was when Gmail was still was either beta or just kind of had launched. And so most people were using Yahoo or Hotmail. Yeah. And so we had like little tutorials on how you could set up Yahoo and Hotmail on your Voyager. And the it was it was kind of like a one-stop shop for consumer. You could get all the ringtones and so forth. And even though the iPhone had launched, the App Store hadn't launched yet. Oh, that's right. So it wasn't yeah. as much. I, I will say one of the things that, that I think is is also overlooked at this time is that the first iPhone was Edge only. It did not have 3G. Right. And the Voyager was an EVDO phone. So you could that's have right. yeah. 
I mean, you could do streaming and, and, and video and, and, um, web browsing, high speed web browsing and things like that, that you really could not do on the iPhone at the time. And I will tell you, one of the things that was hilarious in retrospect to me was how many, uh, Apple fanboys and they're all boys <laughs> at the time <laughs> would tell me about the iPhone, the first iPhone. Well, you don't really need edge cause Wi-Fi is everywhere. And then also oh, yeah, you okay. don't need an app store <laughs> because everything's, you can do everything's web apps now. And then uh-huh. of course, <laughs> Uh, they they change they turn all that around right uh, it ends up right. being uh, uh, completely uh, you know 180 degrees once app once Apple changes its mind about that but um, so so at the time I mean if you wanted a phone that actually had real 3G on it you were not getting an iPhone even at this it, it took a it took a little while it took another year for Apple to right. introduce a, uh, uh, an iPhone with with 3G on it. Yeah. So if it was like fall 2007 and you were evaluating the iPhone versus the Voyager on features alone, you might, you could make a reasonable decision to purchase the Voyager. Not only were you, did you get more capability, but also from a pricing perspective, um, even then data plans were more expensive for the iPhone than they were for like smart, I mean, feature phones. Yeah. So it cost you less and you got more for your money, but that quickly changed like within a year's time. Yeah. They started to really flip that around, especially as people were using fewer, uh, doing, using fewer voice minutes and then suddenly you didn't have those overages. Right. I think it took a little bit longer to get there though. Yeah. This was definitely still the time. I mean, I don't think, uh, I think when we had the Voyager, I don't think we offered unlimited text messaging yet. So people were still paying per message. Yes. <laughs> I, I remember, I remember having to, to ration my, my, uh, my messages. Uh, <laughs> did you ever have a friend, did you ever have friends that like would not send a message that said like, okay, <laughs> because they were like, it's not a good use of my economics. <laughs> I can get more characters for my 25 cents or whatever they paid per message. Well, one of the funny things that was funny to me is in, in Europe, <laughs> um, around this time, usually didn't get charged for, you only paid, it was only the, uh, uh, outbound caller that paid for minutes. Right. If you got an inbound call, right. you didn't pay. And uh, I remember my friends in Europe at the time, they would do this kind of game with chicken with each other to sort of force, see who would cave and be the one to call because <laughs> no one wanted to answer their phone. It was essentially uh, uh, like, like a weird contest, a, a test of wills, uh, which we didn't have as much of because the carriers here double dipped, right? They charge you on the <laughs> coming and going, and, yeah, exactly. uh, which is kind of brilliant. Uh, do you want to talk about, uh, well, so the Voyager, did it, sell, did it sell well? Yes, it was super popular. And and the other thing is that there was um, precedent because people had had the V and the NV. Yeah. And so they had seen that they were used to this whole, like, um, I don't know, hot dog style flip. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I don't know dog. if they were calling it hot dog. Maybe but that's maybe, kind of what it that, is like. Right? Is that a Verizon thing? <laughs> I don't know. I just made it okay. up this exact second. But like there was um, familiarity yeah. with that form factor, yeah. and it was nice. It was like kind of like were, a little laptop. Yeah, and people were also um, hip to the idea that they wanted a touchscreen. Yeah. So it was like you got the best of both worlds. Yeah. You got your full keyboard and you got your touchscreen on top. It looked cool. It did all the things. Uh, it was definitely really popular, and people were loyal to it. Yeah. Well, something that people don't talk about, or, or is maybe not very widely known, is that Apple did build a, a a prototype of an iPhone with a keyboard, with a physical keyboard, and 
they this is in the very early days of the iPhone. So I, I, I from what I've heard, it was probably like 2007, probably 2008. But um, if you remember at the time, there was a lot of resistance from the carriers to sell a device, especially aimed at business users that didn't have a keyboard. And so yes. Apple was showing carriers, at least in Europe, from the source that I had at the time, they were showing carriers in Europe a prototype of an iPhone with uh, with a physical keyboard. And I think it was a, a I think it was a it was essentially them hedging a little bit where. Uh, if they wanted, because if they wanted to expand overseas and they wanted to uh, compete uh, more vigorously with BlackBerry and and some of the other players, that that they may have gone down that path. Now, obviously, they didn't, but somewhere in Apple headquarters, there's a, a safe filled with uh, iPhones with keyboards on them, and I have no idea whether they were sliders or what they looked like or the form factor. But um, I had it from a pretty reliable source that they were showing it to carriers, uh, at least in Europe. So. Yeah, it's hard to overstate the importance of a physical keyboard at this point in time. Um, I'm just remembering I'm having a flashback. So, this, I by the way, this write... this podcast is all about the flashback. Like, this is like more less of a flashback and more of like a oh my god <laughs> moment. Um, so, I used to write a newsletter that would go out to a bunch of employees. I think almost like a thousand employees, maybe every Friday, and it was called Data Planet like a play on Daily Planet. And I had a whole edition. I had editions dedicated to, to positioning against the iPhone. And I called it the Y-Phone series. Oh, yeah, I'm a very clever, clever kid. You were drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> we had, um, we yeah, the, the physical keyboard thing. We had whole um, trainings around this, like how to help people. Because we still, although it seems like there was a lot of adoption of smartphones by this time. Yeah. There really wasn't like for people, a lot of people were still text messaging on like a 10 key on a regular flip phone. So when they would come in for them, the upgrade situation was to move to something like a Blackberry or like a Voyager or an Envy. And so we had a whole um, like training simulations on how do you position keyboards and help people utilize the web for the first time on a mobile phone. Like that kind of stuff was really common in terms of what we were thinking about when customers were coming in the doors. And um, uh, when did the, I guess we can talk about this on a first, but maybe we'd save this for a future episode, but I, I, I want to be, I want to, I'm curious about when the acceptance of full touchscreen sort of started to seep in there at Verizon uh, maybe we can save that for when we talk about the BlackBerry Storm. Yeah, okay. I think the BlackBerry Storm didn't really help the cause. Gotta be honest. <laughs> uh, okay, I, we have a lot to talk about there, so we're gonna we're yeah. gonna tease that we'll for, for probably for next episode. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about the Palm Central because, uh, as I alluded to earlier, this was when if I think if there's any device that shows where Palm was kind of running on fumes. I think it's the Palm Centro. So uh, for anybody that is not familiar with it, which I'm assuming, well, either you're super familiar with it uh, or it's everybody. Everybody Uh, for the four people Uh, who want to listen to talk about this subject. Um, So anyway, tell your children um, about the the Palm Centro. So so the Palm had the trio line, which was awesome. They were great. And then uh, Palm OS, which was certainly not evolving uh, or, or really keeping pace with where uh, the industry needed to go it was not a modern OS in the way that um, iOS, which we didn't call it iOS at the time, but certainly as iOS was in 2007. Um, Palm decided to do kind of to go down market with a device that was a little bit smaller than the Trio uh, with a worse keyboard, uh, a smaller form factor and kind of like 
you know, kind of pretty colors in terms of the casing. Uh, but the OS itself was still essentially the same Palm OS 5 that they'd been uh, selling devices on for a few years. And so it was something that, you know, I can I can understand the, the desire to go down market and certainly have a, a nice small phone. But it, it, it felt like at a time when you needed something kind of new and fresh from Palm, that it was almost like they were retrenching. Um, yeah, I think there was like kind of two sentiments about the Centro, which and neither one of them were good. <laughs> so one was that it was like the shrink and pink methodology. Yeah. So it seemed like they were trying to target a more feminine audience by making it smaller and giving it different colors, but sacrificing experience in order to achieve that. And then the second sentiment, which I don't know, maybe I don't know if this has occurred to you or not, but I think we kind of viewed it as like the redheaded stepchild to the Motorola Q. Yeah. Because if you wanted a, a smaller or thinner form factor, you could get the Q or the, or at this point, I think the Q9C or Q9M maybe was out, which was the second. Yep, the, the successor thing. to the Q. Yeah, exactly. And you would be getting a more robust and capable device. So if you didn't have loyalty to Palm and you were coming in to get your first smartphone, you probably weren't leaving with the Centro. Yeah, that, I, I, that's what I was trying to figure out. I remember at the time, I think I actually went to, might have gone to the launch of the Centro it was kind of curious who it was going for because I, I think that if you cared about Palm OS in any meaningful way, you wanted to get a trio, which is going to be more powerful and, and certainly have a better keyboard. And then if you didn't care about that, there were just lots of other options, which it seemed like you, you might be more satisfied. I mean, the Voyager would certainly be a better option than the Centro, unless you really cared about Palm OS apps, which again, why would you not get a trio? Yeah, and there's there might be something else here, which is that when people were making purchase decisions, they were trying to purchase a device that would last them for two years yeah. because of the way that subsidies That was work. the upgrade model, yep. Right, so that was a pretty big commitment considering how frequent the release of new handsets were. And so that definitely factored in when people were making decisions like this. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the other things that uh, is worth at least noting here is that the Centro... It was only the uh, the CDMA versions that supported 3G. So you had to get it if you wanted EVDO. Well, if, if you wanted EVDO, you can only get from Sprint and Verizon. But if you wanted 3G, you had to get on Sprint and Verizon. If you got this on AT and T, I don't think there was even a T-Mobile version. But if you got on AT and T, you were you were relegated to Edge, which mm. is another kind of questionable. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Just why? I, if I had to, if I had to guess, I would say that uh, it was tough to fit a three G chipset into uh, for, for a, 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 a GSM oh, yeah. chipset into a device that small. And I think I think frankly, Apple I think faced the same issue with the iPhone. Where yeah, that's true. Uh, no, I mean I don't mean why didn't it have three G. Oh. I mean why would you buy it with Edge? <laughs> like, oh, come on. I, know. I, I I I mean it's one reason actually I passed on the. Um, on the iPhone, the original. I, I think I bought it and brought it back about five days later, um, which... Which, should we talk about the price point when it first launched? Which one? The iPhone? The iPhone, yeah. We should, but I, I, I don't want to talk too much about the iPhone because I feel like there's like, you know, we could go on and on and on and we're supposed you know, we want to talk about stuff that's not the iPhone, but it was an expensive exactly. phone. It was, we basically paid uh, almost full retail price for a phone but then it was also locked into a two-year contract. Like it wasn't like a, a, it didn't seem subsidized at all. Yeah. So you could come in and I think like during the holidays in 2007, uh, the Voyagers were like buy one, get one free at either a hundred bucks or 200 bucks for the first one. 
So you were either paying 50 bucks per or $100 per. iPhone launched at $600 with the subsidy into your contract, or I guess no subsidy with the two-year contract. And then they dropped the price to $400. Yeah, because yeah, people were upset. And they gave people refunds, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Well, the funny thing is, the, the, so the phone I actually ended up using around this time was, uh, I'd gotten kind of burnt out on the trio and frustrated with how crappy they had gotten. And so for about a year or nine months or so, uh, I used a BlackBerry 8830. And I'm trying to remember yes. what prompted me to switch. <laughs> I was on Sprint at the time. I think I've, I've hung my head in shame over this uh, uh, admission before. So there weren't that many great options, but the BlackBerry 8830, and what's, we can talk about, the, we should talk about the curve, the 8300 too, but mm-hmm. it was kind of a decent phone at the time. I mean, it was, it was great. It a great keyboard. It, uh, uh, it worked. I mean, it was, uh, it worked really well uh, for the things I wanted to do. They, there was a Gmail app for BlackBerry at the time. And so I could do Gmail on it. And that was kind of all I really cared about it. I mean, that was definitely like 50% of what I wanted out of my phone was a good Gmail experience. And so, and I certainly was going to get, there was no dedicated Gmail app for the iPhone uh, at the time because there were no apps at all. So I kind of, I liked it. Well, I liked it enough. I, not, I, I'm not going to say that I didn't eagerly switch to Android when the first Android phone came out uh, about a year later, but um, at the time, BlackBerry was a, it was a great option. Absolutely. Also, the BlackBerry 8830 was a premium look and yeah. feel in comparison to the 8300, which I f- think was more lightweight and had the 8830, I think was made. I don't know what all the parts were, but it definitely felt more premium. It had the kind of metal. Executive. I, I don't want to. Yeah. It was metal of some kind. I don't think it was necessarily the, uh, right. I mean, it wasn't like stainless steel or anything like that, but it was a, it was a more premium device. It had a better, slightly better keyboard. Uh, I mean, this, at the time, all of these had, I mean, the screens were okay. I think 30, 320 by 240 pixels was was pretty standard, uh, pretty standard at the time. But one of the other things that uh, was at least nominally interesting to me about the 8830 was it was a world edition phone. So you could roam with it overseas. Yes. And That's I had France. this, I had to go to France for a couple of days. I was speaking at a conference. And so I brought my 8830 and I thought it was going to be so easy just to roam and, and use it there. And for whatever reason, it didn't work nope. <laughs> uh, because like the, the Sims, they have a, the, 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 they had a, even though sprint devices at the time didn't have SIM slots, SIM card slots, cause it, uh, uh, CDMA phones at the time didn't have them, uh, which right. is a whole other thing. We could, we could do a whole podcast about that. Uh, but, yes, uh, but it did have a SIM card <laughs> slot for, uh, that was unlocked to be used with, um, when you roamed. And so I got there, I had a, a SIM card, didn't work and I could not figure it out. And I, it was, uh, I think the longest I've gone without having a phone in a very, very long, I mean, I've certainly been off the grid, you know, when I've traveled or something, been somewhere that they didn't have service, but it was the longest I've been with like involuntarily without phone service, I guess. Uh, and, um, it was, it was pretty frustrating that the one time I had occasion to use it, it didn't work. But when I got the phone in the first place, that was something I was like, okay, I'll have this option where I can roam. I can do all this stuff with it. And then when I need it, I couldn't do it at all. Do you remember why it didn't work? Was it an issue on the on the international carrier side? I don't know because I, and I wasn't there. I had no way of really figuring it out at the time because I couldn't call anybody, and mm-hmm. um, and I was only there for a couple of days, so I was like, I'm not going to sit and like buy SIM card, buy another SIM card to see if it was something, what else it was. 
So. So I can tell you uh, kind of a funny story about the 8830, although I don't know all the details, <laughs> I can't remember all of them. But um, at the time when we lo- when the 8830 launched, I worked in yeah. B2B sales, um, supporting enterprise clients. And we had a sales contest. The first person who sold an 8830 won, and I won. I cannot for life of me remember what I won. <laughs> so I just remember that I had to like screenshot the order and submit the order in order to prove that I was the first one that had completed the sale. Um, but I do remember exactly what you're describing because before it launched, we had a lot of um, marketing and hype about the whole concept of it mm-hmm. being a global edition device, quad band, and customers could use it to travel. And in Verizon, um, that was a, a pretty big sticking point for us since we were a CDMA carrier, especially working in B2B. So most of my clients were um, companies based in San Jose, Sunnyvale, Santa Clara. So this is like the Yahoo's and so forth. And so a lot of them traveled, a lot of people traveled for work and would get really upset. They would either have like a separate separate GSM device or they would suspend their Verizon service while they were abroad. So I had a lot of clients who were looking forward to this. So I sold a lot of them and then I found out, you know, it was very similar to what your experience was. I can clearly remember um, an EA of a CEO reaching out to me on like a Friday night at like 10 p.m. saying, you know, the CEO is in Australia. His phone is not working. What do we do to help him? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, that's how it was for me. I I just had no idea why it wasn't working. And uh, and that was kind of it. Yeah. And that kind of is the sucky thing about that is when you're abroad and it doesn't work, there's really no recourse. So it wasn't like he could call our customer care because yeah, that was how his I was phone here. didn't work. And then you just go through one of those experiences and it completely saps the confidence of anybody that would support the service. Because I can remember then a customer would ask, does it work internationally? And we'd be like, no. <laughs> and I would say, well, I'm looking at the website and it says it's quad band. And we'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah you can't uh, trust yeah. that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you need, you need quint yeah. band. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was something that uh, uh, was frustrating. I, I, and I went to, uh, I went to Iceland uh, this past June and I brought my iPhone. And for the life of me, I thought I had purchased an unlocked iPhone. I mean, I, I didn't buy it from a carrier. I just bought, I bought it from Best Buy. Uh, and um and I got there and I bought a SIM card at the airport and it would not work. Oh, I know. And so, and I was pulling, I, I, I kind of, I figured out pretty quickly that my phone was still locked because it's not immediately obvious. Uh, sometimes, you know, you think maybe I need to, there's something else I need to do, maybe to reboot it or something like that. And so uh, I fortunately I had brought my iPad with me and my iPad was unlocked. So I'm the guy walking around Reykjavik with an iPad. No, you weren't. Yeah. I was that guy. Wow. Uh, Skyping. <laughs> I was like doing like the worst stuff. I was like the worst tourist, but only for like had like an afternoon. And and so I I I, I, I uh, at the hotel I I got on Wi-Fi and I emailed um uh you know put in a request to unlock the phone from with AT and T the website and they to their credit they unlocked it within like twelve hours which was oh good job AT&T. I know I got very I mean it could have taken I I thought like there's no way this is gonna get done before I I get back but uh but it worked. And certainly made things a lot easier, and I did not have to walk around taking pictures with my iPad. Yeah, uh, it's definitely a lot better now than it was in the past. Yeah, and I think the carriers. I mean, it was such a. I mean, they were so reluctant to unlock your phone. I mean, we haven't talked even about number portability and how. Uh, I mean, th- that was sort of one of those kicking and screaming kinds of things that the carriers just did not. They wouldn't let you port your number to another carrier. If you switch carriers, you'd lost your number. <laughs> 
Yes, you're correct. <laughs> and <laughs> I think we take it for granted now that you just you just move and you take your number. But and I've had numbers that I've take I've switched like five times. But um, yep. the uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 things are so much better in that respect than they were now. But do you want to talk? We should talk. We, I mean, we talked about the the eighty three hundred the curve, but that was a, a that was a workhorse of a phone. Yeah. When I think about these phones that we're talking about today, the one that I remember using the most was the 8300. I think that phone got me through um, at least the back half of 2007 and most of 2008. It was a great phone. I loved it. It was, I mean, you could throw it against a wall and it'd still work. <laughs> Probably. Seriously. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was a, like I said, it was a workhorse. It, people put it through a lot. And, uh, and I remember, you know, in, in kind of late 2007, this was, I mean, at least living in New York, you would see a lot of people walking around with this phone. It was more than the iPhone yes. for certainly at the time. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. And it was, I mean, and also they sold them a version for every carrier. I think what was the Verizon one? Was that the 8310? I'm trying to remember what was the Verizon one. I think it was the 8300. Was it just called the 8300? There wasn't like a, a, a variant for CDMA that they, this is the part that gets tricky, right? We have to remember like all the different, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the 8300. We did have multiple colors, yeah. though. Did you? So I think there was like modifications to the SKU based on the okay. color. Okay, I'm trying to remember now. Did you put a theme on your phone? Because this is the other thing that was kind of funny yes. about. I, I actually on my 8830, I actually put I think a and like a, a Mac type theme on my phone. Yes, yes, I remember themes. I had multiple themes, but usually I would try a theme out for a couple of days and then just switch back to the. The default out of the box experience. I yeah. even had an Aqua. Remember Mac OS Aqua? Like Aqua was the design language of the Mac OS, just like fifteen years ago. But I, I had a, uh, and I, I have to find a picture of this. But I had a, a, a Mac OS Aqua theme from my trio. Wow. Yeah. So it looked like a little. <laughs> I know. Um, and I wasn't even really a Mac guy. That's the funny thing. Wow. <laughs> like, uh, I, I, I don't think I. I mean, I. I mean, I'm, at the time, I made I ran Windows and and um, and don't laugh. I ran Ubuntu. I'm not gonna a, laugh at that. Okay, you're not gonna laugh. Someone in the audience is laughing, <laughs> but those are my main. I had a, I had a uh, my desktop had a uh, Windows and I had a laptop which uh, I put Ubuntu on and I loved it. Uh, okay, so back to phones though. Do you remember this phone, the Helio, for, for the carrier, the he, the Helio, yes. which was an MVNO? Yes, the Helio Ocean. Yes, so. Okay, so Helio was this. It was an MVNO, so it's a mobile virtual network operator. So essentially, it's, <laughs> I don't um, know if that helps. <laughs> yeah, I know. So basically, there are a lot of there's only like a handful of carriers that have their own networks, own their own networks here in the U.S. Right? right. There's T-Mobile, Verizon, AT&T, and Sprint. Uh, and Sprint, I guess, and T-Mobile are going to merge, so it could be three. Everybody else leases their capacity, their network capacity from one of these carriers. So right. Helio started, they leased capacity from Sprint. And, uh, and so, and it ends up most of them, I think most MVNOs are on Sprint or T-Mobile um, and uh, relatively few are on Verizon and AT&T. Though I will say as an aside, uh, you know, Apple was going to do, originally was going to do an MVNO with Singular for the iPhone and they mm -hmm. decided not to. There's a mm -hmm. whole story there, but uh, so Helio it was Skydate, and he was the founder of Earthlink. Which, if people remember, Earthlink was one of the kind of one of the most successful early uh, ISPs. Uh, a lot of people got their internet access first through first through Earthlink, 
And um, so he's starting an MVNO and the kind of the premise was that they were going to have really, really nice devices and then lots of great services. Uh, yeah. And they were targeted at the youth, if yes. you will. Yes. And so their flagship phone was called the Ocean and it was a dual slider. It slid kind of one way to reveal a QWERTY keyboard and then the other to reveal a like a T9, like a, a you know, a, a numeric keypad and yep. it had the most satisfying click. Like you would just sit there and just click it, slick, slide it back and forth, back and forth one way and the other. It was really satisfying. I think it was designed to be satisfying. The phone itself was manufactured by Pantech, which is a small, a, kind of a, a more obscure OEM, which I don't think we'll talk about in any other context in this we podcast. About, um, Windows Mobile and Pantech, did they make some of those mobile? That's devices. true. They did, yeah. uh, but they're yeah. definitely more, more one of the more obscure. Uh, and so, and so, uh, so this is made by Helio. Uh, they had another device, which was I think made, maybe I want to say made by LG. But the Ocean was kind of in the spring of 2007. I think it was released in, released in May 2007. Was considered to be one of, in some respects, like almost like bigger than not bigger than the iPhone, but was one of these like, oh, this could be a really big thing. Uh, yeah, there was definitely a ton of marketing funding behind it. Ton of marketing, uh, but it also had stuff that was kind of advanced for the time. I mean, it had Google Maps. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had um, uh, something called Buddy Beacon, which is a way for you to share your location with your friends. A custom portal for MySpace. Yeah, it had MySpace, <laughs> which MySpace <laughs> that was a big that was a yeah. big deal. Right. MySpace was the incumbent in 2007. It was it's still imagine, but it was yeah. a big deal. You know, I was one of yeah. the first hundred thousand users of MySpace. Wow. Yeah. You know, I feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> this could be too morbid, but that should be like on a tombstone. <laughs> oh, you know what? It gets worse. I was a beta tester of Friendster. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Early adopter. I know. Father, uh, friend, investor, and early adopter. <laughs> but also, I mean, it had, uh, I, I mean, they added YouTube to it. I mean, it had a lot of stuff that was, um, uh, like, in a sense, pretty advanced for a device at the time. No, it wasn't a smartphone, right? It, w- it wasn't really open in the sense that you could develop apps for it or install things for it. But they, they really tried to push this idea of it being, um, having lots of, of great kind of, like, features and services and things like that that you could use on it. And, um, I mean, I, I, I used one, it was a device that I used for, uh, for a little while around this time. I mean, I didn't switch my service to Helio, but I would carry, uh, it as a second phone just because it was so nice to use. And, um, you know, the, the keyboard was pretty good. The Google maps actually was really good, especially I mean, for the time. And, um, I, I think there are a lot of people who thought that Helio had a shot at becoming a a, a really major force in, in the wireless industry. I, I would say I think I don't remember how you know competitive the the service price was. I don't remember it being. It wasn't like a budget carrier. I mean, it was meant to be kind of more yeah, of a premium experience. But uh, but I think they got. They, they made the wrong bet. I think they thought they still, and this is something you've talked about, which is I think they thought of the future as being really, really great feature phones rather than smartphones. And it's a subtle distinction that's hard to sort of tease out or see in retrospect, but there was a difference at the time in the way people thought mm-hmm. about mobile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I All I have to say about Helio is the MySpace feature was attractive at the time. 
I remember hearing the ads and being like, oh, that would be cool. But, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, I, if you were to come into a Verizon store and ask about the Helio, you left with the Voyager. (laughs) 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 So would people come in and say, I, I like that they wanted something like the ocean or that they wanted an ocean and they didn't realize that you couldn't get one from Verizon? Yeah, basically. If they wanted something like the ocean, then you left with the Voyager. Yeah. If you wanted something, if you wanted the ocean, you probably still left with the Voyager. So, so were you saying like we're out right now, or like that, like, or, or, <laughs> like how do you? Because you don't want to be like, oh yeah, you got to go to the Helio <laughs> store. Um, uh, not I even mean, know if they had stores, but um, it was. Uh, yeah, it, it, I think they did have stores actually. I think they had a store in Palo Alto. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe they had a couple, but. Uh, was For there... some reason, I can remember this Helio ad that advertised MySpace and talked about their store, and I remember being kind of annoyed with them. Yeah, <laughs> like, like the MySpace thing is cool, but come on, Helio. Yeah, but I think no. Like to answer your question, um, we at least in the stores that I worked in, we were really we were geeks for the phones that we sold. Yeah, and so. Yeah. If we had something to offer that even could compete or compare, we would we would sell it to you. Yeah. When we, the issue would be like when we would have a customer come in from France, for example, looking for <laughs> so the reverse situation of what you had, looking for an unlocked GSM phone. That's when we would send them to the T-Mobile store. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah. if there was if there was a chance to get them on something comparable on Verizon, then we we did it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love people from France coming into the Verizon store. It uh, happened. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> let me tell you how messed up the U.S. carrier market is, uh, wireless market is. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but Helio, I mean, this one also died quickly. I mean, this was not around for very long. Yeah. But I, I think by, 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 I'm trying to remember when they were out of business by, but it was not. Uh, yeah, less than a couple of years. Was, it was like, there, they were out of business like almost immediately. So, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to look, let me look this up. They, yeah, they got an African acquired by Virgin in 2008 and then they've retired the brand. So basically it was out of, it basically got retired the brand in 2010. So essentially they're out of business within like a couple of years. Yeah. Because they didn't announce the ocean until May 11th of 2007. Yes. So within a year and a half they had been acquired. Yeah. So I, I think it's just so much, it costs so much money to run a business like that. And, uh, Wow, it's it's crazy. Uh, okay, so before we wrap up, though, we got to talk about something that I really want you to explain: the Samsung Juke. <laughs> I'm so excited about this. All right, so we talked about the LG chocolate in another episode, yes. right? Oh yes, we did. <laughs> Samsung Juke was Samsung's response to LG's chocolate, which was also Samsung's um, one of their efforts at addressing this opportunity to integrate music into your mobile experience. Um, So Juke being like a play on Jukebox. (laughs) (laughs) And the phone had this really incredible form factor. And it it wasn't totally new. There was also a phone from, I think, 2004 called the Kyocera KX2. Do you remember that phone? Uh, No, but the the one that it reminds me of a little bit is the, um, the Nokia, the lipstick phone, which we haven't talked about at all, but. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, well, basically, it was like, okay, can you imagine if you put your two hands on top of each other, and then you swivel them 180 <laughs> degrees? <laughs> like it, it was kind of like a switchblade. It was also very satisfying in the way that you would describe the yeah. Helio. I had a Juke. It was like my weekend phone. And I would just <laughs> could you, flip it. Could you like, flip so you it, could flip like it. flick it like a switchblade? 
Exactly. And I remember being in a Safeway, in the line at Safeway, and this, like, this guy behind me was like, wow, that's so cool. What is that? It's my phone, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to cut you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But it was like, it came in these colors that were not, um, they were not very conducive for your, if you were trying to spit game at yeah. Safeway. Because <laughs> I think mine was like <laughs> neon blue or something. And they had, um, it had this kind of toggle wheel on the front that you could use. And the music controls were built yeah. right into it. I also think it was similar to a lot of the phones at the time that were in these really compressed form factors. I'm pretty sure it didn't have a standard headset jack. It had a dongle. Oh, yeah, because they couldn't probably okay. fit the yeah. regular. Right. But this, the screen yep. on this phone, though, tiny basically this uh, has like <laughs> barely functional like i don't know how you do anything on here i mean i guess if you're just using it on the weekend then you don't really care that much but i couldn't imagine besides <laughs> listening to music i mean it's just like texting or doing anything on here just must have been so painful yeah the texting was really tough because, especially because the keyboard the keypad is, is also really small Yes, and it was flat, so it had this really annoying keypad. So actually, the Motorola Razor made this keypad style popular, which was a completely flat keypad yeah, with not really any differentiation between the keys. So the Duke borrowed that but made it smaller. And I mean, I feel like you just have to Google this phone if, if you're not familiar with the Oh, yeah, no, you have to look it up. you got to look it up. It, 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 look, there, there are... Uh... <laughs> There are a handful of <laughs> devices or phones that we're we're going to talk about that we're talking about on this podcast that you really look them up and you're going to say, I can't believe. <laughs> <laughs> and people use these phones, no lie, two years and longer. And did people? How well did this one sell? Um, actually, not actually <laughs> better than you would think it did, because it was um, it, it was sold cheap, like a right? tablet. It was cheap. Under contract. Samsung, Samsung had love for the brand, yeah. they still, just like they do now. Um, the music features, I can't remember everything that it launched with in terms of music, but it was some pretty competitive stuff. And and it's important to recognize, like, people would buy this phone. I remember selling this around the holidays. Um, people coming in and saying, I was going to get my daughter an iPod and a flip phone, but instead I'm going to get her the Juke. Like, yeah. stuff like that. Wow, so okay, like yeah, I, get, I get it. I get it. How much storage did, did it have a memory card slot, or how like how much yeah, music it had could a you memory fit? card slot? Yeah. So I guess you, um, with that you could fit a decent amount at the time. Yeah. Hold on, let me. I'm looking this up right now. I, I think it says up to 1.87 gigabytes here. That's what I'm. That's what I found. Yeah, that was pretty good for no, the that, time. For if yeah, with a memory card, that's 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 actually not bad. I mean, I I hesitate to what a, a, a I mean it. I have to say, I hesitate to remember, uh, hesitate to think about what, how much like a two gigabyte memory card like cost in 2007. Oh yeah. M way more than the phone did on yeah. subsidy. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably walking out the door with the phone for like 49.99 and the memory card will probably be like 129. Oh my God. <laughs> what? Yeah. And now a two gigabyte memory card is like two bucks. Yeah. I want to look up. Okay. Oh, the official song for this phone is Jukebox Hero by Foreigner. <laughs> and so did Samsung or who, who did Samsung or Verizon license that? Um, it doesn't say. Maybe it must have been Samsung because it was under the it was on the official commercials and it was sold in Europe. Yeah. On T-Mobile UK. Yeah. Okay. So in I, Australia, it was mistakenly titled The Jukebox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rough. 
<laughs> yeah. I, I think the only thing I'll say is I, I, I do miss the weirdness and creativity of some of these of stuff like this, where it's, uh, uh, yeah, no one's going to cell phone like this now. It may be like yeah. a, 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 I mean, there's certainly not, I mean, I'm sure if you look on AliExpress or something like that, you'll find some weird phones, <laughs> uh, that you can buy. And, um, uh, here and there, but that this is sort of, uh, again, it was, it, it was, it was this moment when people didn't think it's going to be all about smartphones, but really it's going to be about having a feature phone that is sort of superlative in one way or another. And right. I, I think your point about, you know, you have a teenager that you're going to buy a, a nano and a, a flip phone, like this satisfies both. I can totally see that. I can totally see that. Yep. So. RIP the juke. You were fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we wrap up? We, I think we, uh, we, we covered a lot of territory in 2007. I, I have only one thing I want to say to close this out uh, is that in November 2007 is when Google announced that it was going to be offering the Android OS to, uh, to OEMs for free. And uh, uh, Andy Rubin, who I will not say anything else about right now, <laughs> but uh, you know, there's not a <laughs> definitely uh, uh, is not in good standing uh, right now. Try your own conclusions. Yeah, um, but he said there will be thousands of Google phones. Some you like, some you don't, which has turned out to be right. <laughs> um, literally, there are now thousands of different Google phones, Android phones. But my favorite is from Steve Ballmer's response from Microsoft. He says, "Quote: We'll have to see what Google does." Right now, they have a press release. We have many, many millions of customers, great software, many hardware devices, and they're welcome in our world. Oh, Steve. Yeah. Well, remember, he also didn't have anything kind to say about the uh, iPhone. About the iPhone. But I think it's forgotten that he also uh, talked a lot of trash about Android and uh, 0 for 2, let's just say. Yeah. So... Um, hard to make predictions. It is hard to make predictions, but I think we're going to draw a close on this kind of, like I said, weird pivotal year for phones. And then as we move on to kind of the next phase, 2008, maybe 2009 as well, there's also a lot of unusual phones that we've forgotten about, or maybe willfully or tried to forget about, but we're definitely going to talk about the Blackberry storm. I cannot wait. I have the best story about the Blackberry Storm. I have a story that involves my apartment being filled with boxes of the Blackberry Storm. <laughs> <laughs> my story involves a toaster oven. Okay, that. <laughs> I'll just stop. We got to save it there. Okay, so a pretty good story. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we hope you've been enjoying this, and uh, we're both easy to reach. I am at Peter Rojas on Twitter. I'm Christy Pitts on Twitter. And we will be back very, very soon with another episode of Zero G. 